You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have another awesome podcast. Uh, We're going to be talking with Jessica Graham, and Jessica is going to walk us through some food plotting myths, right? Um, She wrote an article recently, something like uh, uh, Top 10 food plotting myths and uh, basically we're going to debunk all these myths and we're going to talk about her food plot strategy for whitetail hunting throughout the entire year and uh, it is spring after all and spring is when a lot of people start paying attention to food plots getting their food plots uh, prepped and ready to plant and depending on what seed you're going to be planting now June, July, August, maybe even early September, uh, you're going to want to start uh, planting those food plots. And uh, But you know, right now, a lot of people start thinking about that, and uh, that's what today's podcast is about. Real short intro today. All I want to say is, if you haven't already, please go to the iowasportsman.com, right, iowasportsman.com, and check out all the content they have on their website. It also allows you to subscribe to the magazine. Uh, tons of great information on that uh, in that magazine as well so please go and subscribe to that Uh, go to iTunes or wherever you download the podcast and leave a review and uh, we're going to be we want to hear what you have to say right so uh, go ahead and get that done go to uh, the Iowa Sportsman Facebook page and uh, like it and soon there's going to be a page on uh, Instagram as well so uh keep an eye out for that. Uh, other than that, I think we're good to go here. Let's get into today's podcast. All right. On the phone with me now, Jessica Graham. How are we doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How about yourself? I can't complain. Uh, I tell you, the weather in Iowa keeps getting better and better and better. And uh, I, I'm, that makes me happy because now we are a long way from winter, it seems like already. And uh I'm just excited for the springtime activities. Are you a turkey hunter by chance? Yeah, I, I enjoy turkey hunting. Um, I plan to go out a little bit later in this season, and uh, hopefully, I can have some success. Yeah, absolutely. How about yourself? I went out. Um, I went out with my wife. Uh, we do this little tradition every year where we go to my my mom's and my stepdad's, and we we go fishing. We do turkey hunting. Uh, we eat a lot of food. We play a lot of cards. And, uh, so this year I was able to call my wife into a a really good Tom and, uh, uh, she smoked it, drilled it. And, uh, then it was tough for me to get on, on a bird, but, uh, we got a 50% success rates. Okay. With me. And, uh, we had a, we had a really good time. 
that's awesome. And that actually sounds like the ultimate, like, destination yeah. hunt, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got lodging and good company. <laughs> that's and right. With your wife. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, when it comes to deer hunting, I'm a little bit uh, more serious on that end. Uh, you know, turkey is one of those low-pressure hunts. You don't really have to worry about anything. I, I don't care if I kill one or not because I've killed enough already. But uh, don't get me wrong, it's always nice to get a turkey. But, like, my mind's always on whitetails. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, um, I like turkey hunting and, and everything else, but... Um, I really get excited in the fall um, when it comes to deer. And actually, I really get excited for the spring um, so we can plant some food plots for the deer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today is uh, you recently wrote an article in the Iowa Sportsman magazine that I wanted to talk to you about. And that is 10 myths about food plots. And uh, we got some myths here that we're going to debunk. Uh, and we're going to talk about today. Um, but before we get into that, why don't you uh, tell everybody where you're from and what do you do for a living? Oh, sure. Um, so I, I grew up in South Central Iowa, and um, I was able to, to stay kind of around the area. I moved a little closer to Des Moines, and um, I grew up on a farm, and I've always been in the ag industry. And actually right now, I'm... Uh, I'm working with crop insurance out of the Des Moines area. Oh, nice, nice. And I'm yeah. sure, oh, man, with all with all the flooding we've had uh, and wet weather, uh, I'm sure you're busy. Oh, yeah, and I really feel for some guys this yeah. year with the cold, wet weather, like you're saying. Yeah. Well, I think the cold weather plus the wet weather, and then we had, we, I mean, we had some really strong winds. I, I drove by uh, a bean field this past weekend during turkey season, and I, it was flat from wind damage and then probably oh, the snow that was on top of it too. So I don't even know if they can get a combine underneath it to get it. That's not a fun deal at all, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. But we're going to talk about something on a little bit of the brighter side of things, and that's food plots today. Um, I take it you wrote this article. Uh, that m must mean you have some kind of experience in f food plotting. How much, how much food plotting do you do? in a typical year? Well, a fair amount. Um, I hunt with, I'm, you know, I'm pretty fortunate to come from a hunting family. So I, uh, I always get a scheme with my uncle and he has, you know, there's probably close to a thousand acres in Southern Iowa. Um, you know, that we, we do food plots on there. And then over at, um, my parents, I grew up on a farm and they own a, fair size acreage so we do food plots there and then um you know just a couple of years ago my husband and i bought a uh, small acreage so then i get to do some food plots on a on a small scale <laughs> so gotcha. it's pretty fun i enjoy it but i get to see a lot of different you know tracks big food plots small food plots right destination food plots and then kind of some some smaller kill plots right some people refer to them Right. I got a buddy who, uh, he, he bought a piece of land and he started doing food plots and he said, man, you just learn so much, uh, when you start working with the earth and start doing the habitat improvement and trying to make these food plots grow. Cause if you don't do it right, then they're not going to grow. And then it's a waste of your time, energy, and money. So just right off the bat, what, are, what are some of the biggest things 
or takeaways or, you know, or learning experiences per se that you've had over the years planning food plots? Uh, some of the biggest takeaways from planning food plots, um, when we're, when you're talking about smaller seeds, so, um, radishes and turnips have little tiny seeds and clover is a small seed. Um, it's pretty easy to bury that seed too deep in the ground. And what happens then is you bury it too deep and then it doesn't want to come up because all that stored energy is in that, that tiny little seed. And we're talking like the size of the tip of your pen sometimes. Right. And that doesn't have enough energy to propel it to the top. So sometimes, uh Burying um, seed too deep is is a big, I guess, a downfall of um, planting food bots, or that's an easy mistake to do. Yeah. Has that been something that you've been guilty of in the past? Yeah, I've done it once, and, um, you know, just like your friend was saying, it's something you don't want to ever do again, so... Um, just chalk it up to learning and know not to do it next time or, or learn from someone else, I guess. It's it's a little cheaper to learn from someone else's mistakes. <laughs> that is a fact. <laughs> That's a fact. Um, so when it comes to food plotting, right, you're still under, like, you can you can do all the work. You can do everything right, and still you're at the mercy of Mother Nature, right? Uh, I mean... I think it was a couple summers ago, we had no rain for many months, uh, especially in Southern Iowa, right? We had a, a huge drought uh, throughout some of those counties. So how do you prepare for something like that where, you know, you got to get these food plots in at some time and you're going to do it, but you don't know if you're going to get rain or you're going to get too much rain and wash the seed base out or a, a variety of different things. So you're asking me, how do you prepare for failure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, honestly, the worst thing you can do is to do nothing. Um, because you look back at how your season was last year. Um, and you got to ask yourself, are you, are you okay with your season peaking as it was last year? Or do you want to try to improve your land, attract more animals, more deer, um, and you just got to get, get in the right mindset sometimes. And it's very discouraging. Um, a couple of years ago when that happened, um, I remember I, I had my husband, we saw a rain cloud coming. <laughs> so I had him, um, we had everything filled up and, and ready to go. And uh, I was just so afraid we were going to miss that rain that we were planting in a downpour, <laughs> just yeah. trying to catch that rain. Um and and sometimes when when things like that happen, because uh, I think that was dry, it's dry about all summer. Am I right? Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking there was no rain from early June to September. I thought. Yeah, um, and so in that case, what happened for us um, is we had soybeans planted, and the soybeans just sat in the dirt. They didn't ever grow. They didn't germinate. Um, and when that one rain cloud came, it wasn't about September. Uh, so what we turned around is we're going to put in, you know, instead of having beans, we're going to turn around and do some fall food plots, um, and plant some plants that you can plant in the fall. So think in brassicas or even, 
Um, you can do winter wheat or rye. Um, we just happen to do brassicas is what we had on hand. Um, so sometimes your plant, your initial plan fails because of another mother nature. It's not anything um, anyone did wrong. It just you can't grow anything when there's no rain. So we just had to switch our plan. Right, right. That makes sense. So we got myths that we got to talk about, right? And I'm just gonna go. Yeah. I'm gonna go through uh, the article um, uh, on each head here heading, and uh, we're just talk about you know, talk about what, uh, what you found out. And that first one is number one, food plots cost a lot of money. Is that true? Well, they can cost a lot of money, but they don't have to cost a lot of money. How's that? Yeah. Um, for instance, there's, you know, you walk into any hunting store and there's a plethora of products on the shelf and it's really nice because it's prepackaged proprietary blends. Um, but you're also going to pay for someone else. I mean, you're paying for that blend. You're paying for someone else going in, measuring out the correct amount of seed, and then packaging it. So there are some things you can do to help, you know, cheapen the load. Because I'm, you know, if you're like me, you've got a full-time job and you got bills to pay and and, uh, you don't want to put a whole bunch of money into food plots, especially when there's not an economic return out of right. it, right? We're planting, we're planting food plots to feed the wildlife. Yeah. yeah. So um, one thing you can do is some stores like, um, you know, Tyson's or co-ops, you know, grain elevators, they'll sell, um, you know, radishes, oats, different species in bulk. And sometimes you can get them just to sell you a few pounds of radishes or turnips, and it ends up costing you, when you put that mix together, it ends up costing a lot less than if you were to go to the store and to buy it. Okay. So that's that's uh, kind of one of the myths is they don't have to cost a lot of money. Um, you can do some research, find out the correct seeding rates, and then um, go ahead and buy the seed yourself. Right. And, and I've never really, I've, I've planted one food plot my whole life and I overseeded it. Um, and I don't think I laid down the fertilizer the right way. And it just, they grew, but they didn't grow into food. You know what I mean? So they stopped growing at some point. And I always had this, uh, this thought process where, you know, it's just a food plot is just not seed right? Because you have to work the soil and it's best to use, you know, like I used a, uh, oh, I forget what it was like a Harrow. Uh, and then I had, uh, one of my buddy's, uh, tractors and that's how I did it. Right. So, you know, like you said, using a tractor, you know, that costs money for, you know, diesel fuel or gas. And then you have the equipment and all, all that, you know, all the big equipment. Is there anything that you can do to minimize that cost other than sweat equity? Um, to minimize the cost of, well, for say, if you don't have access to, you know, a tractor or a disc and the right tools, because that's kind of the problem a lot of folks run into is, um, you know, they're not farmers. They don't want to go out and buy a tractor. That's a huge expense. Um yeah, there there are some things you can do. Um, when, with minimal equipment or minimal cost, you can look into what's called frost seeding. 
Um, are you very familiar with frost seeding by chance? Yep, yep. Uh, sprinkle the seed on top of the snow or or when it's still cold out, so that as this you know as the the ground thaws and and freezes thaws and freezes, it works its way down into the soil. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, when you do some frost seeding, that doesn't you don't need to you don't need to cultivate the uh, the ground. Um, a lot of times it works better if you have a nice seed bed ready, but, um, I mean, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do and, and frost seeding, I mean, it's great because it helps, you know, especially that small seed like clover, it helps kind of break the dormancy of clover okay, and kind of work it into the ground. You don't get it buried too deep, <laughs> which we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, and how that's, that's problem because it can't come to the top. Um, so when it comes to uh, weed control, um, you know, if you have access to a mower or if you have an, uh, a farmer or someone that's willing to come out and brush cut, that would help. I mean, that helps break the canopy of the grasses and helps control the weed, um, too. So that's an, another way you can go for weed control. Yeah. Or... Uh, you know, there's uh, herbicides that target um, only grass grasses, so you can spray chemically control some weeds. Um, you know, you have to, some herbicides are restricted use, and you have to have a special license or have them applied by someone with a, a special license. But um, what that does is uh, actually I took took a a pot that was probably 25 to 50 percent. Um, clover and ended up turning it into almost a, a pure clover stand just by letting that um, remaining clover go to seed and, and spraying out the grass. Yeah. So, so did that answer your question well enough? Um, yeah, good enough. As far as, okay. Good enough. All right, number two, all food sources are equal. What did you mean by that? Um, I think we've all kind of noticed that. Um, you know, deer hunting particularly is different food sources peak in attractiveness during different times of the year. Right. Um, like when you're when soybeans are just coming up, you can't hardly keep the deer off of them. They just want to mow them all down um, <laughs> when they're young and tender. But it kind of seems like uh, you know when they start to defoliate, when the weeds start turning yellow. Um, Dan, you do a lot of hunting. Have you noticed deer kind of tend to, I mean, it's not their favorite time to eat soybeans. It's, it's other times when they're green or when they're, they're, um, you know, just the pods. Yeah. I run into the, I run into this scenario where in September I drive by some, uh, some of these soybeans fields that still have some green pockets on them. I'm like, I can't wait to go hunt that October 1st (laughs) and then October 1st hits and dang near all the leaves are on the ground already. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So then, um, so something else, they're eating something else. The deer didn't stop eating, right? They're going somewhere else. So we got to find out where, where is that food source? You know, sometimes it's an alfalfa um, food plot where the alfalfa is green. It's given them a lot of those nutrients that, that they need um, to bulk up before the rut. Or it could be, you know, a brassica mix. They really like radishes early season. Um, so that's what I meant by not all food sources are equal, um, at least not during the year. 
So different times of the year, the soybeans are going to lose their attractiveness and you want to have an alternate food source so that when the deer move off of the soybeans, they're, come, they're still going to be on your property and they still have an attractive food source. Right. So pair it with something green like clover, right. alfalfa, um, or, or brassicas. Right. All right. So let me ask you this. Um, what are your favorites for certain times of year? And I'm just going to say, I'm going to stay within the October 1st, to early January hunting season. So let's say early season, you know, early to mid, even late October. What are, what's your favorite food plot to sit on? Um, well, if you have green soybeans, those are pretty hot, um, in that early October area. Um, if you don't, Clover is, is very attractive. Clover and alfalfa are very attractive. Um, early October or even radishes. Those would be my main favorites for early bow season or, or pre-rut gotcha, food sources. Gotcha. Now we're getting into late October, uh, no, er, you know, the rut, maybe early to mid-November. What are we looking at now? Well, one thing that a lot of, I know a lot of food plot guys don't like this that happens is the mass crop starts falling in October, late October. So now when you've planted all these food plots, you're now competing against the acorns and you'll see a lot of your deer start to disappear around this, this area or alternate their, their patterns. You might pick up that buck that comes to your place. Right. Um, looking for those oak trees. Um, so that, you know, late October try, uh, hunting around, oak trees a mass food source um or even um even some a brassica mix if you have a brassica blend that sometimes will pull them into gotcha all right especially yeah especially after that first frost we usually get that um sometime in october and that makes the sugars start to go to the bulb and so then they come become really appealing okay to uh, the wildlife yeah Gotcha. All right. Now, what about this Thanksgiving into Christmas time frame? Well, that can really vary in Iowa, but a lot of times, and I will have snow somewhere coming in there. And uh, when you have snow coming, um, you really can't be a standing grain source like standing soybeans or standing corn. You just really kind of flock to that. Yeah, and I take it that goes all the way through into the late season as well, that standing green? Yeah, yeah, that's really key for late season. Um, you, is that something you've kind of witnessed? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have the luxury of hunting over any food plots, so anything that I, any place I hunt is, if the crops are up, it's because the farmer didn't get them out, right? So... I I very rarely run into a position where the crops are still in, let's say, late December or January. And if they did, it would have been something like this year where we had a real wet harvest season and instantly went into snow. uh, And they they weren't able to get them out until, you know, late into this, you know, late into the season, Uh, all dictated by weather, of course. So typically I don't. But this year. I, I hunted some of my rut in a standing cornfield. I was actually in the cornfield. So, how did that work out? Can I ask? Yeah, um, I saw a other than a lot of does. I saw a really good three-year-old and mostly young bucks, but I didn't see any any mature. Nothing four-year-old or over. 
None of my hit okay. listers made it into that cornfield. Okay. So, and, and this was kind of a unique scenario. This particular cornfield held deer, but it didn't butt up against any main timber. So in order for the deer to get to it, they had to cross the road. And I'm sure the big bucks were in it, but not until after dark. And that's kind of frustrating sometimes, too, when it's, yeah. the corn becomes the habitat and they're just hiding in there. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a fact. Um, we did a rattling sequence. I brought my buddy Ryan with me, and we did a rattling sequence. And uh, I slammed the antlers together to simulate a fight. And I, I must have scared some bedded deer that were in the corn about 20 yards, 20 to 50 yards away from us. And they all jumped up and ran away. So uh, uh, I, I think I was a little bit too aggressive with that move. All right, so uh, we've kind of walked through the food sources there throughout the year. Uh, myth number three, you need a lot of equipment to establish a food plot. Um, I feel like we kind of talked a little bit about this. Um, you know, it's ideal if you have all this equipment and have, yeah. you know, a, a drill or, or a planter and a disc and a harrow. But, um, you know, don't underestimate frost seeding. Because that's, you can do a lot with frost seeding, honestly. Yeah. Um, or even, um, you know, even just using an herbicide to uh, spray down the grass and then seeding into that grass and trying to harrow it in. Um, that's something you can do, too. Yeah. And uh, nothing beats elbow grease, right? If you really want to save money <laughs> and you really want to. I've talked to some guys who told me they borrowed their neighbor's rototiller and went out and did an entire acre of using a rototiller and broke up the dirt that way. He said his his shoulders and arms were jello by the end of the day, but he got it done and he got the food plot planted. Good for him. That's yeah. excellent. That's an excellent idea. Yeah. All right. So here's something that we talked about before a little bit before we started recording today. And that was planting soybeans later in the year will make them stay green longer. So um, I take it by what people mean by that is, hey, if, if I wait till August to plant my soybeans, come November, mid-November, they're going to be luscious and perfect, you know, just like they are typically in August. Yeah, um, this is a, a myth I hear repeated quite often, and, and you're exactly right. Um even some farmers kind of forget that um, soybeans are actually what they call photoperiodic. So that means they're just like trees. The sunlight triggers the trees to lose their leaves. Well, the same thing happens with the soybeans. Sunlight triggers the soybeans to start losing their leaves. Um, so if you plant, I've actually seen soybeans planted about three inch high and then they're they're starting to flower because that's what the sun is telling them they need to do is hey you need to flower to put on some pods so we can make a crop um so if, if you plant your soybeans even in july or august um they're not going you know unfortunately they're not going to stay green longer it's not like corn yeah. they're going to all kind of lose their leaves and mature at about the same time right I think that is a a really big point that most people think that just because of the time of year means that this this plant will peak when you want it to and not when it wants to. Yeah, and if you if you want to try to get soybeans a little later in the year, um, you know, uh, 
seed companies, they sell them by maturity um, group. And so what that means is uh, you'll hear farmers talk about a group one or two soybean. Well, those mature or earliest, and they're usually in the northern half of the state. Right. Um, Group two and three soybeans mature a little bit later. And, you know, if you think about it in the south, we can, south of 80, you can get away with um, a later maturing soybean because you don't have that frost coming and because it has a little bit longer daylight. So if you want um, a later maturing soybean, um, try planting a later variety. And if, again, if you go into like a co-op or talk with a, a seed salesman or specialist, um, they'll be able to help you uh, pick out a later maturing variety. Great advice. That'll help with Great yeah. advice. All right. Number five, food plots require a lot of maintenance. Yeah, they um, sometimes it seems like they require a lot of maintenance, especially with, um, you know, clover or something that you're mowing or something that you're fertilizing. Um, but we kind of talked about how attractive that mass crop was in Iowa around, um, you know, mid-October, whenever it starts falling, how that just really pulls deer. Um, and really, once you get trees established, they're one of the lowest maintenance food plots you can have. Yeah. Yeah, that makes, um, that makes a lot of sense. You Basically, a tree just sits there and does what it does. <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, so when I moved to my, my little small acreage, um, they went and they logged um, all the oak trees. And, you know, that kind of, I really like oak trees because they're pretty and they attract a lot of animals. So I started doing some research and I found, um, you know, there's sawtooth oak trees and they can start maturing or producing acorns in like six years, whereas, you know, our white or red oak trees, um, it can take them 20 or, or years or longer to produce acorns. Um, so I, I did find that there, and then there's some hybrid oak trees, and a lot of these are crossed with red oak trees for whatever reason. They must grow fast. Um, but hybrid oak trees can start dropping um, an aff- attractive food source pretty quickly too, and as few as three years. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that there and, I know that there is acorns on the properties that I hunt, right? But I always think, man, if I could do one thing to this property, like, you know, I don't know if you ever played the video game Sim City where you could build a house in a specific location or build a mountain someplace. I always thought it would be cool if I could just move this oak tree into this one pinch point and then I would hunt, I I would have the best possible tree stand location in North America. If I could just, if I could do that. And, uh, it sounds to me like planting trees, you know, whether it's a oak tree or like a fruit tree and putting it in the right location, having, having control of that would be, would be a big deal. Yeah. That's an excellent thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, anything else on, uh, you know, food plots requiring a lot of maintenance. Nope. They don't have to require a lot of maintenance, but, um, they can, (laughs) they, but, and trees are pretty low maintenance. And once you just get them established, they'll be, they'll be good producers for you and and an attractive food source. Right. All right. So number six, you can put a food plot anywhere. I already know the answer to this because I failed 
uh, planning my food plot. I don't, I, well, number one, I think I overseeded and number two, I think it, uh, I didn't get enough sun. All right. So what, what's your take on, uh, being able to put a food plot anywhere? Well, just like what you're saying, there's places in the timber where I, some, you know, just sitting there, you think if I had a food plot right here, I could, you know, I could attract every single animal and it'd be the hot spot. Right. Every, every animal in the county would want to be right here. But, um, you know, you can't put a corn food plot in the timber. It won't get enough sunlight, um, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, just if you're, if you're, uh, trying to, you know, hunt a bottom ground or a creek area, floodplain, um, there's a good chance that that creek's going to come out and, and flood out your crops. So what, what can you plant in those wet areas? Um, you know, a lot of duck guys will plant um, Japanese millet because it's been bred to withstand flooding. So you might have to kind of adapt to your area to um, specify what you can plant in your area. All right. Number seven, one small food plot will sustain your hunting needs. Um, I unfortunately made this error when I bought um, a small acreage. Uh, my first year I thought, you know, small acreage, I can do a small food plot. I didn't realize the amount of deer and the amount of pressure I would get. And I tried to plant soybeans and they just got mowed off. I had um, probably a quarter acre food plot and uh, I saw deer out in them every single night when the soybeans were grow- growing, but I don't think there were five soybeans left in that field <laughs> <laughs> come hunting season. <laughs> Yeah, so I had, to, I had to adapt, and that ended up being a brassica food plot. I overseeded with some brassicas just because uh, the food plot was just too small to sustain the population. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've heard, I had another buddy who did the same thing. He's like, man, I uh, he wanted this food plot ready for October, but what he didn't realize was that deer eat all the time, especially clover all the time throughout the entire year. If it's green, it seems like um, clover is their go-to food source almost, and I say almost, over everything else throughout the year, right? If the if Yeah, the, you're right. Yeah, if the yeah. G- green is if the green food source is lush, they're going to go to it. And uh, his his food plot got destroyed to where it didn't by the time October hit, it was it wasn't even a food source anymore. It was basically just stubble. Wow. Yeah. It's it's pretty frustrating when that happens, but it's kind of it's kind of neat cuz then you know you have a lot of <laughs> a lot of deer and a lot of pressure. Yeah. But it's pretty frustrating cuz again, clover seed isn't cheap. Yeah. Um Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and then what was it this year? He ended up uh putting a fence around it. So yeah. he, he was able to control that now. They went somewhere else and uh he said this year um, he put a fence around it and he was able to, I don't know if he shot a deer off of it or not, but he was able to control the consumption of it or no, what he did was he went half and half. So he cut the food plot in half They he gave them access to half of it, which they used and they destroyed. And then he opened up the second half of it in October. So, uh, and then they were able to, you know, use it and he was able to hunt over it as well. Well, that's a pretty smart idea because that way they know that, hey, there's food right here. And then um, 
yeah, yeah. he gets to optimize it in October. That's awesome. Good idea. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Number eight, dirt is dirt. What do you mean by that? Well, I don't know if, uh, so hunting in Iowa, I'm sure you've come across, um, what we call like clay knobs on the top of hills Yep. and the top of ridge lines. And that's a lot of times where it works out well, cause you'll have like a timber down at the bottom and you want to put a food pot in that clay knob. Well, unfortunately clay isn't a good soil to grow food plots. Yes. Um, like soybeans hate, um, compaction and they hate heavy clay soils. They don't, grow very tall which we are putting them in for food plots it's not like we're trying to grow 60 bushel beans but you still want to have some food there for the deer um you know unfortunately you can't always take a clay knob and expect to have the best food plot right that first year and it's it's tough for um like brassicas too because you'll have tiny stunted plants with tiny bulbs on it and it's especially frustrating to talk to your friend down the road that has, you know, a food plot in the bottom ground and it's just doing awesome. Um, it can get discouraging and you think you're doing something wrong, but really it's it's not necessarily anything you did. It was the site. It was the soil's fault. Yeah. So is it... I, on my food plots, I do them uh, once in a while. Um, because, well, especially if you farm, if you, um, if you're trying to put in a food plot near a gravel road, that can really surprise you with how high the pH is, which means, um, the lime from the road comes and it, it basically limes it. And so, uh, what happens is you don't have the pH levels control what nutrients are available to that plant. So we want our, our pH is generally, generally to be between like six and a half to seven is pretty much optimal because when you get your pH is too high or too low, the nutrients and all that money you spend on fertilizer isn't being used because it's unavailable to that plant. So you should do, um, you know, soil tests probably every five years or so, but you know, it kind of, it's up to you. Yeah. But I would, I'd recommend doing it maybe every couple of years or so. Gotcha. Um, have you ever had a scenario where you go in, you put all the work into the food plot, and maybe you didn't do a soil sample test and it didn't grow like you wanted it to because you either used the wrong fertilizer or you didn't fertilize it at all? Yeah. Um, one place on my dad's, it was on a, a gravel road, and... We thought we honestly thought that the pH test was wrong and went and redid it. And both times it came back as eight, which is extremely high, especially for Iowa. But what happened was that gravel road went and it limed it. Um, so the plants, they weren't getting the nutrients they needed. Um, another scenario, can I, can I throw this out too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, on my uncle's field, we thought... Um, his, his plants were kind of stunted the year before and he thought his pH was off and he wanted to go and correct it. Um, and he'd been liming his field every, you know, every year he, he gets a, a load of lime dumped on it and works it in. Well, we found out his pH was right, 
so there was a pathogen uh, we ended up finding out that was stunting the the growth but at least we could rule it out it wasn't the ph wow that's what's a pathogen like a like a disease for the plants yeah like a a disease like fungus or virus or or even um like bugs yeah so, were, you, and, were you able to get rid of it yeah actually if you rotate um a different crop one or two years you're able to get rid of a lot of um Got pests it. or pathogens yeah okay cool all right, so paying attention to the dirt is very important, obviously, because that's where the plant grows. All right. Yeah. All right, number nine, food plots require a lot of space. Yeah, this is, um, I don't know, you've heard of kill plots, right? Yes. Um, and kill plots are kind of uh, a small Strategically food placed food plot that's smaller, yeah. somewhere before like the destination food plot. Correct, yeah. Um, but if you if you don't have enough space, um, I've even heard of guys having you know just three acres and doing a clover, um, either a clover trail or a co- clover food plot, and that way you're not giving up a lot of area, and you're still something's got to cover your ground. Yeah. You know, whether it's grass or clover, it's up to you. But if you put clover on there, like you were saying, even in the snow, they'll try to dig down to it. The deer will and, and access that clover. Right. Okay. So, so yeah. I mean, you it's, that's just almost relative to the amount of space you have access to plant food plots on, right? If you own a 1,000-acre farm or you have access to a 1,000 acres, you're probably going to have access to more food plot options. If you own a 5-acre piece you're going to be limited to the amount of, you know, food plots space that you can, you know, say this area is going to be food plots, right? So it's all relative to the size of the property you have access to. So, yeah, that's pretty self-explanatory. All right. Number 10 says here, species and variety selection is not important. What do you mean by that? Um, Pretty much what I was referring to is um, the tannin levels of different plants and so just real quick what tannins are um have you ever eaten a grape with seeds in them um and to me that's very disappointing because you think you're eating <laughs> yes, <laughs> you think you're eating this this sweet treat a grape and then you crunch into the seed and you get this bitter taste and it just kind of flows throughout your mouth and yep. uh, makes yep. your teeth feel different well that bitter taste of of the seeds is because it's full of tannins um and so tannins are natural organic compounds and they kind of they just have a bitter taste and they're not attractive they're less attractive to wildlife just like i'm still going to eat that i'm still going to eat grapes but i'd rather have seedless grapes just that same thought um well tannins are often um present in like higher levels in stuff that has red red colors. So if you think of like crimson clover versus white clover, that white clover is going to be a little bit sweeter than the crimson clover. So if you're, if you're trying to maximize your food plots or even um, try to pull deer away from your neighbor's food plots, try planting um, like a white clover versus a crimson clover or red clover or even um, 
you know, sorghum or, or millet varieties, you can plant white millet, white sorghum instead of the red varieties. And it's just going to make it a little more sweeter and a little more attractive to the wildlife. There you go. That's a lot of yeah. information packed into a short little podcast. So let me ask you this. One of the last questions I have for you is what what is something that you're going to recommend or any words of advice that you would like to bestow on us uh, to someone who is maybe planning a food plot for the first time this year? If you're planning a food plot for the first time this year, um, just don't get don't get discouraged and make it happen. The worst thing you can do is not do it because you'll be hunting all next season, which is a good, you know, October through January. And you'll be sitting there thinking, I wish I would have had a food plot. So just, just go out there and just try to do it. There you go. Give it a try. If it's uh, something, and you know, I'll be honest with you. Um, it's something I definitely want to keep trying and working on or, and finding the time and the energy to do it because I know I can, uh, find someone to help me with maybe some of the equipment. And, uh, I know I have some property that I have access to. It's probably just a matter of talking to the landowner, but, uh, um, a food plot is definitely something that uh, is, I think more about as the older I get, because, um, obviously we all know that, uh, uh, deer are a slave to their stomach, especially during the late season when they're like, especially this year. Right. I mean, I'm sure, uh, the standing grain that you had last season played a huge role in, uh, in even probably the survival of the deer herd on your, on the farms you hunt. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, um, even you were talking about uh, not owning land and, and getting access from landowners. And a lot of times landowners are okay with you planting clover, especially if they have cattle, because what you're doing is you're improving their, their area. Yeah. So if you, if you don't own land, it's okay. Go talk to that landowner and see if you can proceed in some clover or see if you can try to feed in some clover. It's, it'll help you and it's going to help them. Well, Jessica, uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, chat with us today and drop some knowledge about uh, food plots. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Uh, a lot of information in this podcast about food plots. Hopefully you guys are able to take away uh, some of the knowledge that Jessica shared with us. A uh, huge fan of uh, really in-depth knowledge like that, and hopefully you guys are too. Um just like I said at the beginning of the podcast, man, please go visit iowasportsman.com. Uh, check out all the content that they have on their website and subscribe to the magazine because there's tons of great info there as well. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Iowa Sportsman, uh, easy to find. All you got to do is search for it. And then uh, if this is the first time you're ever listening to one of these podcasts, man, uh, go to iTunes, uh, subscribe, leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. And uh, on top of all that, hopefully everybody has a great rest of your week. I'm really looking forward to doing some mushroom hunting. And uh, I might already have a mushroom hunt or two under my belt by the time this podcast launches. Uh, so if you're going to go out, stay away from the poison ivy. Good luck uh, the rest of the spring, whether you're hunting for mushrooms, hunting for turkey, or fishing. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.